0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue the season of Easter and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we begin a new sermon series, Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants. Sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to you ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you. Join us for the message, St. Patrick, The Unexpected Journey. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We're so glad to see all of you here in the sanctuary, as well as all of you who are worshiping at home. You know, sometimes the worst thing that has ever happened to us ends up being the best thing that ever happened to us. So that's what we're going to be discussing later. We start a new sermon series today called Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants. And we're going to start with the message of St. Patrick, the Unwanted Journey.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, beginning with the first verse. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And his brothers agreed. When the traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. From chapter 45, Then Joseph could no longer control himself. So Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of the Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, "'I am Joseph. Is my father still alive?' But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: They were just walking along the shore when they first saw them. They appeared without warning. At first, there only seemed to be a few boats, but as they cleared the fog, the few boats morphed into dozens. At least 50 longboats were headed straight for them. And this could only mean one thing an Irish raiding party was about to swoop down and change the lives of everyone in the village. And being the son of a wealthy magistrate and the grandson of a priest would mean nothing to these warriors who began to swarm over the sides of the boats into the water and onto the shore. Though the villagers were Romans, the army had long since left Britain in a futile attempt to save the city of Rome from the barbarians at the gates. So as screams punctuated the air, a teenager ran wildly for cover but then he felt himself being tackled from behind. A blow to the head caused him to lose consciousness for a moment. When he came to, his hands were tied behind his back and he was being dragged to the shore. He was pushed into one of the boats and as it sailed off, he looked over his shoulder to see that his village was on fire and he had no idea whether or not his family was dead or alive. Patrick was 16 years old. The year was around 405 A.D., and the Irish raiders had no idea that they had just changed the course of history for their children and for their grandchildren. The adolescent slave that they had just captured would end up eliminating slavery throughout Ireland. The boy who would become St. Patrick then was sold to a chieftain, in Northwest Ireland, where he watched over the herds of sheep and pigs. So often cold, hungry, and without human contact for months at a time, Patrick turned to the only solace that he could find, and that was prayer. He was only nominally religious before the raid, but Patrick now spent much of his time talking to God. He later wrote, "'I would pray constantly during the daylight hours, The love of God and the fear of him surrounded me more and more, and faith grew, and the spirit roused so that in one day, I would say as many as 100 prayers, and at night only slightly less. And even in his dreams, Patrick talked to God. In fact, in one dream, he heard the voice of God say, you will soon return to your own country. And afterward, he had another vision when a voice said, your ship is ready. So at that point, Patrick simply walked away from the sheep and he kept walking 200 miles to the nearest seaport. And eventually he did make it back to his astonished family back in England who had all miraculously survived the raid. But once back in England, Patrick was haunted by his memory of his time with the Celts of Ireland He even dreamed that they were calling him back to Ireland and saying, holy boy, we ask you to come and walk among us again. And so he felt that God was calling him to return to Ireland and to preach the gospel. So over the fierce objections of his mother, who did not want to lose her son for a second time, Patrick began to train for the priesthood with the intention of going back to Ireland. And eventually he did sail back, though not this time not as a slave, but as a free man of God. Now, Patrick was not the first missionary to go to Ireland, but he was by far the most successful. He had this genius for explaining Christianity in the cultural context and in these cultic thought forms for the people. And so as a result, the, cult, the Celts were naturally attracted to the message of Christ since through Patrick's message they came to see Christianity as the fulfillment of their own Celtic culture. By the end of Patrick's life, which was exceeded 30 years after his arrival, Ireland had become Christianized without the death of a single martyr, and moreover, the practices of slavery and human sacrifice had been virtually eliminated. Patrick even succeeded in converting the chieftain who had once purchased him to tend his sheep. He died on March 17, 493 AD, which is the day that we now mark as St. Patrick's Day. He later wrote of himself, God gave me such grace that many people through me were reborn to God and afterward confirmed and brought to Perfection perfection, that sounds almost Wesleyan. Well, Patrick took an extremely risky chance of going, by going back to Ireland. He could have easily been recaptured, uh, put back into slavery, even killed. It's the kind of risk most of us as Christians are never asked to make. But you may have noticed a surprising similarity then between the life of St. Patrick and the life of the biblical story of Joseph. Joseph had been going out to meet his brothers as they tended the flocks of their father, Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and Jacob had given him this magnificent long sleeved coat to mark his favoritism. The King James Version says it was a multi hued coat. As Joseph walked toward his brothers that day wearing this hated symbol of their father's favor, Well, the brothers' jealousy just reached a crescendo. It reached a breaking point. They attacked Joseph, tore off his coat, and threw him into a waterless pit. And they ended up selling him to some passing traders, and Joseph was taken to Egypt, where he remained in slavery for years before being thrown into prison. Eventually released, he rose to prominence and became the second most powerful man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself where years later, during a severe regional famine, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy food. And after so many years, they didn't recognize Joseph. But eventually, he decided to reveal himself to his brothers. And in an amazing act of grace, Joseph forgave his brothers. And then he brought his entire family, including his elderly father, Jacob, back to Egypt to live with him. And so now this reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers was now complete. And so one of the most significant and obvious things that Patrick and Joseph had in common, they were both sold into slavery, went to a foreign country, and were forced to go on a journey they had not planned for and they did not want. Both of them, however, were able to take a horrific experience and turn it into something that not only freed themselves, but freed the very nation that enslaved them. After all, or excuse me, likewise, all of us at some point in our lives, we're taken on a journey to a place where we do not want to go, a journey we would have never chosen for ourselves, and this journey can go by many different names. Illness, divorce, having to move to a new location, unemployment, addiction, oppression, bigotry, being the victim of a crime, a worldwide pandemic, the death of someone you love. These unwanted journeys can sometimes, we can can anticipate them, we can see them from a distance, But other times they sneak up on us unawares, seemingly out of nowhere, and we suddenly look around and we ask, how did I get here, and how do I get my old life back? What can be most disorienting about the unwanted journey is that so often, as part of this unwanted journey, we feel that we are being taken further away from God, and in truth, sometimes we are. But even on the most dismal journey, there are choices that we can make, twists and turns, however small, that we can control. Because the truth is, most of the time, the only thing that we can ever really be in control of is ourselves anyway. Joseph uses imprisonment to hone his managerial skills. Patrick uses enslavement to learn the Irish language and culture. And both of these things contributed to their success in ways that they could have never imagined, never have seen beforehand. It is the very ironic nature of the unwanted journey that the road seems to take us further away from God. Even sometimes, though, it can end up taking us closer, though, than we ever imagined. The thing is that usually it's only later that we can see this, and sometimes much later, from that perspective, that we can see how this steep and narrow road narrow road has eventually led us closer to God. Several years ago, I was leading a Bible study. I was talking to a woman who was very upset because currently she was going through a period of time where she just didn't feel like she could pray. And for the first thing I did, I decided to quote scripture. I quoted that very wonderful verse from Romans chapter 8, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. But to tell you the truth and reality, quoting Scripture didn't really seem to make much of an impression on her. The thing that really seemed to help her is when I told her that I too had been through times where I just didn't feel like I could pray, and even sometimes when I felt like I wasn't even capable of prayer. And I remember one very specific incident when it was a time when I was going through a time of clinical depression, where I was unable to pray for months on end, and what finally brought me out of it was that not unlike both Joseph and Patrick, I experienced a very profound and a very meaningful dream about God. In fact, I believe to this day that the dream was from God. Because after that dream, the floodgates of prayer, they just broke through and I ended up experiencing a far deeper and richer spiritual life, not only that I had ever had a richer and deeper spiritual life than I ever thought I was even capable of. I used to frequently repeat a quote from Vaclav Havel, who's a very famous playwright and a former president of the Czech Republic, the very first president they had after the fall of communism. And one day I decided to look up this quote to make sure I had it just right, only to discover that evidently I had been badly misquoting him for years. But I decided that I liked my version of the quote better. So here it goes. Faith is not the belief that in the end everything will turn out all right. Faith is the belief that in the end Everything will make sense. Because in truth, there are times when things don't turn out all right. Millions die from a single virus. Mass shootings are perpetrated. Messiahs are crucified. It is only the perspective of time that lets us see how crucifixion leads to resurrection and how enslavement leads to liberation. That stony road that we trod, filled with stones and rocks that we stumble over, it becomes holy ground. In a way, the whole story in the Bible is the story of a long series of unwanted journeys. Joseph's journey to Egypt was certainly unwanted, and later, while the Israelites, the enslaved Israelites, later were granted their freedom from Egypt, they did not want to take that unwanted journey through the wilderness for 40 years. The future King David did not want to flee into the countryside to escape from the current King Saul who was trying to kill him. The people of Judah were heartbroken when they were sent on the very unwanted journey and exile to Babylon. And think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the story of the Annunciation an angel comes to tell Mary that she has been chosen by God for this great honor to give birth to the Messiah. And almost without hesitation, she says yes. And so what then was the journey that God had asked of her? Well, first of all, she'll be taunted and shamed that she is pregnant out of wedlock, possibly subject to divorce and even death by stoning. She'll be made to travel uh, for days on foot, maybe at best on the back of a donkey, while nine months pregnant, and then give birth in a stable surrounded by animals and aided by her fiancé, who, because of the realities of arranged marriages at that time, may have been someone she barely knew. Then after Jesus starts his journey, Mary's going to have difficulty even being able to get close enough to talk to her son. And worst of all, as we know, Mary must stand by helplessly and watch as her child is tortured to death in front of her eyes. And I want to ask, and I'm not surprised if Mary didn't ask that, where was the angel then when Mary needed that angel most of all? And I think even Mary, even very faithful Mary at that point would have looked down and only been able to see one set of footprints in the sand. You see, we must all go on unwanted journeys in our lives, and usually we have to go on several before it's all through. So how do we live with this? How do we conjure up enough faith to have hope in the future while living a life of love now? Well, the main thing is is we don't do it alone. First, we take our journey in the company of others. One of the functions of the church is that we get to carry each other, in the words of you two. Galatians, in Galatians Paul tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So we carry each other and we bear uh, bear each other's burdens. Secondly, we keep praying even if we feel like we can't pray anymore or we feel like it doesn't do any good. Even when I felt like I couldn't pray, I still went to worship and I still said the prayers of the congregation So if for a while all you can do is repeat the Lord's Prayer, then at least do that. And then have faith that the Spirit does help us in our weakness and that that very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And when we can't pray, the Spirit will pray for us, and the Spirit's going to pray through us. And praying while going on an unwanted journey, I know sometimes it can feel like you're just talking in the dark. But remember that sound travels in both darkness and in light, and God will hear you even in the darkness. And finally, don't ever forget how the story ends. Joseph is released, is able to feed his family and avert a famine. The Israelites eventually make it to the promised land. David becomes king. The Judeans return from exile. And Mary sees her son alive just days after his death, And then Patrick gets to convert the very people who enslaved him. So in this season of Easter, we remember that darkness is followed by light. Crucifixion is followed by resurrection. Pain is followed by joy. And all things work together for those who love God. You know, the medieval Jewish rabbis, who if if, if you're part of our pastor's Bible study, I often like to quote medieval Jewish rabbis. And they told a story about Joseph that's not found in the Bible. And the story goes that when the now powerful Joseph went to bring his aged father Jacob back to Egypt, he stopped at that very pit in which his brothers had thrown him so many years before, and he offered a prayer of thanksgiving over this pit because if he had not been thrown in this pit, then his life would have never turned out the way that it had. So I think if we can keep praying, if we can continue to keep carrying one another, and we can keep remembering how the story ends, then we can come to that place where we can thank God for the pit that was placed in front of us because it's helped us to become, to go to the place where we are now. And then we can proclaim with the psalmist. It's from Psalms 40 and Psalms 30. I wait patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry, drew me up from the desolate pit, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Lord, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. And so now, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So now, receive this benediction. May God give us such grace that through this church, many people will be reborn to God and afterwards confirmed and brought to perfection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and we're blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants, with the examination of the life of St. Francis and the spirituality of animals. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember that we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.